was I was able to do my taxis on Friday. And it's a lot different when I remember sitting down with Dad and taking our W-2s and filling out all the paperwork and stuff. And then this wonderful thing of doing them online came on. And, you know, you get your turbo tax and you punch in a couple of numbers and taxes are all done. And, and it just gets, they get a little bit better at that, a little bit better at that every year. But this year, as I sat down to do my taxes, some different things and were in the process of doing taxes different than anything I could ever remember. And I understand it's a result of the world in which we live in. And so now you go on, you go on to get onto your bank online or you go to do something like your taxes online. And they need to verify that you are who you say you are. So through, and that's because people are stealing each other's identities all the time. And so they have this two, three-step identity uh, verification system. So you get started doing your taxes, and you got to put in your password. Okay, it starts bringing up your information. And now, okay, we're going to send you a, a six-digit code on your cell phone. So they do that, and you got to punch that in, and then a little bit later... We've just sent an email to your email address. Please verify that you you are who you say you are. It's a good thing in today's world because there are so many people out there that are trying to steal your identity. Probably you've, you've seen that, that there's more of these things to try and make sure that you are who you say you are because so many people live behind a, a computer screen. There are so many people living behind a computer screen that are claiming to be someone they're not. So we get to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, if you read the Bible, you read the Gospels, Jesus Christ claimed to be God. Good. A lot of other people have too. I was thinking about that and I knew I wanted to talk about the two, three-step verification of identity as my opening this morning. But I was thinking about it and I kind of changed at the last moment what I wanted to talk about. You guys all remember, maybe you don't always, my kids probably don't remember that. Marcel probably doesn't remember it. But most of us in this room remember 1993 in Waco, Texas, the Branch Davidians and David Koresh. There was a guy who claimed to be God. And I said last week, and I said that again, if someone comes up and they're standing in front of you, like I've said this many times, if a teacher comes up in school and he gets up in front of his class and says, I'm God. If a pastor comes up and he says, I'm God, or someone that's given authority to speak in public comes up and they say that, they're lying. And they should be fired immediately because it's wrong. But there are people that do that and there are people that buy that. Jesus did that, but there was something different about Jesus. In Jesus' case, it was true. And you say, well, how do you know that it's true? I believe that there are, there are lots of proofs 
historically. There are proofs in the world today. This book verifies it, and this book has been verified by what has been said. And I take it on faith that I, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And if you read this book, Jesus says, I'm the Son of God, and I'm not just going to say it, I'm going to prove it. And this is one of those times that Jesus proves it. Last week, I, I said, I want you to think about this. And I don't know if anybody thought about this at all. But there's a verse, verse 28. Eight. And I want to start by saying today we're going to talk about this not guilty verdict for us. But in verse 28, it says this. You can read it on the Bible or I've got it on the screen because I wanted to talk about this at the beginning. It says, the hour the hour is coming when all will from will come rise from the grave. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Those are the words of Jesus. If you look in verse 28 and 29 in your Bible, you're going to find those written in red. And I, I've even got a, from my Bible, I put a question mark next to that verse. Because at first glance, it appears to say, that those who have done good are going to be raised to resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And it appears as if it's a verse based on works-based salvation. And I sit here, and I read those verses, and I go, Oh boy. I know that I have not met God's standard. I've failed. And I deserve being condemned for all of eternity. And I know a lot of you guys in this room. And I've talked to some of you guys about your past. And you'd agree. And one of the things that, as I read this verse, is the question that comes up is, is this talking about works-based salvation? Do we have to do enough good things to earn our salvation? And I go, I say, absolutely not. We have to make sure that we pay attention to the whole counsel of God. And don't, don't, don't just pick and choose one little section, but you got to take the whole thing the whole passage of Scripture that Jesus... You can't read verses 28 and 29 without reading all of John chapter 5. Without reading the whole message of the Gospel of John. And so I wanted to stop here and pop and pay attention to this part. And say one of the things that we need to realize is that God's message has to do with reconciliation. And the fact that salvation, even in this passage, verse 21 of John chapter 5, it says, For as the Son, for as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so 
The Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so I'd like us to look at a verse about this concept of reconciliation that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's the key. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, you go back to that and maybe you say, Okay, Pastor Scott, so what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to take that verse in John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29 and ignore the words of Jesus? I say, yeah, absolutely not. Don't ever ignore the words of Jesus. And Jesus is absolutely right. Those who have lived an evil life will be raised to the resurrection of condemnation. And if you want to make it to heaven... You have to be someone who is absolutely good, absolutely pure, 100%. Guess what? I fall short. You fall short. But when I get to heaven, when I stand before God in judgment day, I believe that I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven forever. Heaven is my home. This world is not my home. Heaven's my home, and I'm on my way there. But not because of what I've done. It's because I have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. And it's His righteousness. It's His goodness. And it's His His perfect blood that purchased my salvation. So that verse is absolutely 100% true. But you have to take the whole counsel of God. So that we count on the righteousness in Christ. The right, we stand before the righteous judge. It's his righteousness that makes his blood worthy to purchase our salvation. Let's look at a couple of verses about that. There's one verse. I, I don't think a week goes by where I don't think about, I don't go back to I don't look at Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not our righteous works, but it's Christ's righteousness that purchases our justification. So that when God, when I come, someone, I don't remember who it was, 
Oh, actually, I do. I remember who it was. I won't let them. I won't tell you who it was. But somebody said to me this week, they said, when we, we go and we stand before God and the books are opened and, and our works were to be put on trial, it's like Christ is going to stand in front of us and he's going to go, no, 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 no. Don't look at what they've done. Look at what I've done. And look at how I was righteous and my blood Save them. And so when, when God looks at us, he's not going to see our wicked deeds. He's going to see the righteousness of Christ. And we're talking about the whole idea this week is that we stand before God, the judge, righteous because of what Christ had done. And so as we look at that, we think about, you probably just got to turn your Bibles one page over to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I I hope that when you walk into heaven, you hope on you you plan on wearing some crowns, that you're gonna quickly surrender to the feet of Jesus. And one of them is that crown of righteousness, which God is going to give to all who have loved his appearing. I hope you're excited today about the return of the Lord and getting to spend eternity with him forever. Because it says there that if you in this in this verse, the righteous judge, the God whose righteousness is the reason that we can go to heaven is going to give you that crown of righteousness. So if you want to be the person that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 5 and verse 28, I'm going to raise those up to the resurrection of eternal life who who are good, who are righteous. And you want to stand righteous before God. The source of that righteousness is Jesus Christ. And what makes Him worthy? Let's Let's turn back to John chapter 5. What makes Jesus Christ worthy? Like I said just a moment ago, Jesus Christ claimed to be God. That was a big, big, big statement. A big claim. One that would change the world if it was true. One that if it was false would ruin the lives of countless people. Like we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. If Christ is not risen from the dead, if he isn't who he claimed to be, everybody in this room following this dream of Jesus Christ, you are of all men most pitiful. But we believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And that because of his resurrection, we're going to rise with him and we're going to spend eternity forever with him. That's nothing to miss out on. And and I believe that that's true. And uh, some of the reasons we have that we believe that true is from John chapter 5. Jesus holds open court and he puts his own deity on trial. And I've read this passage of scripture many, many, many times. 
And if, as I take and as I read John chapter 5, especially the second part, Jesus in the beginning, he says, I got your attention. You're ready to kill me. I'm God. And they're ready to kill him even more. And he says, wait, wait, wait. Listen. I want to prove it to you. Let's have court here today. I'm going to put myself on trial. I claim to be God. And here's the proof. Let's read in John chapter 5, verses 31 to 46. And I'd just like you to kind of look for any words that kind of give paint the scene and put you in a courtroom. In John chapter 5, in verse 31, it says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man. But I say these things that you might be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have the word abiding in you. Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have them. I do not receive honor from men. But I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another? And do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. In him you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe in his, his writings, how will you believe my words? So like I said, I think Jesus himself... He says, I claim to be God, and that's not a light thing. I'd like to prove it. So let's hear before everybody. Let's have an open court, an open discussion. Let me lay the proof out. And this is going to become important because remember when Jesus was arrested and they wanted to put him on court in court and try him and convict him of death, where did the Jews do it? In secret, at night. And Jesus says, I told you plainly in the open, and you didn't hear, you didn't listen then. You have to try me in secret and at night. Jesus says, if I claim to be God, I better be able to prove it, and I better be able to prove it before all of you. Listen to some of these words that we have. Witness, judge, execute, truth, judgment, condemnation, testimony, authority, accuse, those are all, all words I read in that passage of Scripture. Jesus is putting himself on trial. Wouldn't you agree? And he says, here's the proof. 
Here's the witness. He says, I'm going to call to the stand four people today. And don't think that Jesus is done proving his deity. Don't think that this book is done proving his deity. That's all this book was about. And so Jesus says, I'd like to call to the stand witness number one. I hope you got it. Witness number one is John the Baptist. John 1, 29, a, a verse I spent a lot of time on a few weeks ago. And John the Baptist, as he's going around making a difference in the world, being a spiritual leader, and letting people know that their sin was terribly wrong, and they needed to change the direction of their hearts from chasing after the sin and hypocrisy of the day, and they needed to come to God, and they needed repentance. And when Jesus shows up, John the Baptist says in verse John chapter 1 and verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we've already looked in this book, in John chapter 1 and in John chapter 3, John the Baptist's message, the reason that he was here, is to say, I'm a spiritual person to get you, to draw you to repentance, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. I'm not worthy to get down and, and tie the man's shoes. He must increase. I must decrease. Jesus is number one. Everybody else is number two. Or, or way down compared to Jesus. Don't even think that we're close. Because he's the son of God. As we read in the text, not only is John the Baptist the first witness that Jesus calls to the stand. The second witness that he calls to the stand is his works. Let's look at Acts chapter 2 this morning. The works of Jesus Christ. And we can read in John, one of my I think it's one of the key verses of the book of John. John chapter 20 and verse 31 says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you might have life through his name. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels where there's story after story after story about Jesus Christ. The guy who claimed to be God. Who healed the lame. He opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the mouth of the mute. He drove out demons. When he died, the world, the, the world opened up and shouted that he was the Savior. And when he rose from the dead, he changed the world. And we have a Savior who is risen and who is alive. And while other religions in the world, they, they follow after men who are still in the grave, ours has been raised from the dead, and he's at the right hand of the Father preparing to come back to grab his church and change this world forever. That's what makes us different. In Acts chapter 2, and verses 22 to 24, we read these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered, by the determined purpose 
and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For it, it, We just see right there that the works of God screamed and shouted that Jesus Christ was God. There are a lot of people that claim a lot of things in this world. Sometimes we have People, athletes that claim that they can do some amazing tasks. I wonder what the best words you can say to somebody that makes those claims. Well, prove it. Right? A lot of people will, will claim that they have the biggest and fastest and most powerful car. What's the word you ought to say? Well, go ahead. Prove it. Some people can. But there's a lot of people that go around talking and saying a lot of things. But the thing to remember is that there, there are few people that can back up their elaborate claims. And Jesus made the most elaborate one. When he said, I and my Father are one. When he claimed to be God's Son, His perfect Son. And if we were to say to God, Go ahead and prove it and say, okay, what I've been doing my whole life. I'm not going to stop now. When he rose from the dead, he never stopped because he's still changing lives. And he's still getting into people's hearts and transforming them into the image of his son. One of the, this, John chapter 5, led me to, yesterday I was preparing for my next study. It's on Galatians. I'm not going to get too much into it because I want to do that when I'm into Galatians. But I'm excited about Galatians right now. Because Christ, through his death, he set you free. Set you free from the bondage of the law. And he's, he has given you the opportunity to be free from sin. And it's amazing what Christ can do. And, and he's changing lives. He's setting people free. There are other religions that, that force people to do their code of ethics because if they don't, that they won't please God. God was pleased when Christ lived the perfect, sinless life. God was pleased by the death of His Son. And He showed His pleasure when Jesus rose from the dead. And now we get to glory in that. And we are free from... We aren't carrying around the load that, oh boy, if we don't do this, we're not going to make our place into heaven. No, we're free. And the sin that ruined your life once, you're free from that. You can throw it off and live a right life because you want to live a right life. You could do right because it's freedom. You live differently because you have new life in Christ. So Peter... Said Jesus was God. The works that were going on say that Jesus was God. So we've, we, Jesus has said, here, I'd like to call to witness today that I am God. And number one, John the Baptist. 
I'd like to call to the stand today to attest to the fact that I am God, the works that I've been doing. Now he says, number three, the third person I'd like to, to call to the stand to say that I am God and to back up my, is probably, is not probably, is the most important one that ever matters. God the Father himself. My Father who is in heaven claim that I am God. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And as I was flipping, I was went right past Luke for some reason. Luke chapter 9, verses 34 and 36. Now the transfiguration. We know that Jesus' inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, have gathered with Jesus for a transfiguration where the glory of the Son of God would be revealed to these men as they see Him when His robe has become white and glistening. Moses and Elijah there as representative of the law and the prophets. And on that night during Jesus' transfiguration, God the Father Himself says these words, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. As we continue to look through through the Bible, we see Jesus Christ dying on the cross. We see the veil torn. We see the skies darkened. And at the end, a Roman centurion says, truly this man was the Son of God because God the Father put his stamp of approval. This is my beloved Son. He's going to change the world. So Jesus is called to the witness stand. He's called John the Baptist. He's called his own works. He's called the Father. And also, he calls the Scriptures. And the Scriptures, it, you can go through the whole Old Testament, and they scream to you, Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. You get to the Gospels and they scream, Jesus Christ is here. You get to the rest of the Bible and you say, Jesus Christ has come. And you get to the end and you say, Jesus Christ is coming again. And, and it's all about that man. And you can't go through Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, the prophets. And people, people are, we're reading through the Bible. And every week somebody's saying, how can people not think that these ancient books were talking about Jesus? How can they not? Just another proof that Jesus is God. Let's turn to the, to the text that we read this morning in our responsive scripture reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Something Pastor Baker 
drilled into our heads and was something very, very good for him to drill into our, our heads. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. You want to talk about Paul focusing on the resurrection? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the creed of the early church, what they lived for and what we need to continue to have our lives centered on, is this truth? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to this present day. But some have fallen asleep. When it says there, according to the scriptures, it's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's talking about Genesis to Malachi. The Old Testament works which screamed, which pointed out the fact that Jesus was coming. In John chapter 5 and verse 39, a verse we just read just a minute ago, it said that these scriptures that say that Jesus is the Christ have the words of eternal life. I'd like us just to read, read, look over in the book of Job this morning. In the book of Job in chapter 19. Job chapter 19. If you don't have these, if you highlight in your Bible, if you underline verses in your Bible, and these ones aren't underlined. Highlight these verses in, in your Bible. Write them down. And make sure that there's something that you refer to often. Job chapter 19 and verse 23 says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen, and led forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold Him, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. They testify to the truth that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And we could take all day bringing up those points. One of the ones that we know fairly well comes from Isaiah chapter 53. You can't read Isaiah chapter 53, and if you haven't, you have no idea what I'm talking about, go home and read Isaiah chapter 53. And you go, whoa, that's... Jesus. Well, that's Jesus. Well, that's Jesus. Well, that's written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it shouted about Jesus. In John chapter 25 says the law accuses you. And it's like I said, this is what really has kind of made me think that on Sunday nights after I get done talking about hope, 
I want to talk about Galatians. The law accuses you. It is a legal document that condemns you. So if we're in a courtroom today, Jesus Christ has said, I got these four witnesses that I am God. John the Baptist, my works, the Father, and the Scripture. They all say who I am. But the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they accuse you and your works. They put you into verse 28. You're in danger of the resurrection of condemnation. But there's an answer. The answer is, is that those same scriptures that have the law that accuse you before God, they tell of Jesus. The answer. And as we look in the book of Revelation, uh, Zechariah, not Revelation, Zechariah, we're going to find Jesus to be the answer. In Zechariah chapter 9, in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Old Testament scriptures shout that your king is coming. Even though the law accuses you, there is a Savior, Messiah, who is on the way. And that Savior, that, that Messiah who would come to save you from your sins was Jesus Christ. And turn over in your Bibles maybe one page to the solution for us not having enough works to reach heaven by ourselves. The solution to us standing guilty because of the law. I provide today, today before you in an open court. That it was Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, who came to this earth, authenticated by these four witnesses, that he came to save you from your sins. In Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve as one grieves for a firstborn. They will look on me whom they have pierced. That was Jesus of Nazareth, the coming king, the Messiah, who died in our place. As we read this morning, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And in Job, just like it says in Job, we know that our Redeemer lives and today there's two kinds of people in this world in this room there are those who know jesus and there are those who don't the proof has been given to everybody your responsibility is what are you going to do with those evidence some of you like job says you've got that written 
engraved on your heart with a pen of iron and it's never going away. Others of you, you, don't, you haven't come to that faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And put here today, before you, what will you do with Jesus? I brought you to an open court today of his deity. He said, here's what Jesus said. He claimed to be God and there's so much that backed it up. He came to die for your sins and to give you life eternal. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Dear only Father, I pray that these words will ring in the hearts and lives of people. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here who does not know you as their personal Savior, they have not come to the acknowledgement that you are God, not accepted the truth that you're the Savior of the world, that today they might surrender to you, to lift their heart and their voice to you and say, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Change their heart. Help them to realize that the King has come. Help them to surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we here, we believe that that same Jesus, the King, who came, he's coming again. And before it's too late, make sure you've trusted in him. You've accepted him as your personal Savior. 